0: God is so good, and this message is so heavy on my heart. And I'm gonna give you part of what I gave last week. But it's not all of, of two crossroads, but there's more to it, and more importantly, there's more to it than 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 what we what we really talked about last week. But I've, I've had such a burden. And the beautiful kids, that's awesome. Yeah, give my hand. But it's so important. Discipleship is so important so important. And every one of you in here should be a spiritual mom or dad to someone. I don't care if you're 20, 30, or 50, or 100. Every one of us needs to be a spiritual mom and dad to someone. We went to a funeral yesterday of uh, one of our co-workers. Father passed away, and and it sounded like he was just an absolutely incredible guy. He was 87, I believe. or will be 87 next month. And the one thing that struck me was Most of the people that were there were in that probably 65 or 70 to 90 age bracket. But yet so many talked about what he meant in their lives. And I'm thinking, where's the younger generation to honor this man? Where's the younger generation? And you know, many times, especially in Scripture, we will, well, no, I'm not going to say that. I'm not going there. Many times we will say, we've got to appeal to this generation, which we do need to do that. Or we've got to focus on this generation. Or we've got to focus on that generation. I just don't see that in Scripture. I just don't see that in Scripture. We're supposed to have a a congruency of the generations. The generations should be blending and flowing together. The younger ones should be seeking the older ones. The older ones should be seeking to raise up the younger ones. There should not be this, this little uh, subcultures in the church, I don't think, where you have to just, ha- I mean, I'm not saying we need to we need to have things that are relevant for our children, but we don't need these little subcultures in the church. And we don't have it here, but I, I do see it in some areas. And I think it's dangerous, and I think it's destructive. When we start appealing, because what happens is we get outside of the Word of God to win, and we develop things like this seeker-sensitive movement. That now, you know, after 20-something years, has been a mass destruction into the body of Christ. Even the founder has declared it was a big mistake. Trying to appeal, trying to draw in with the world's ways. You can't win the world with the world. The world, that, And even, you know, I love when I read about the millennials today. That's at 18 to 34. You know what they're wanting? They're not wanting all these smoke screens and all this other junk. They're wanting conventional theology. It's what what research is showing. They're wanting standards. They're wanting truth. They're wanting to stand on what is right. They're not not wanting to be entertained anymore. They can go out from Monday through Friday and be entertained. But see, they're wanting truth and they're wanting relevancy. And we said it a hundred times. You raise a few dead people or you open a few blinded eyes and you're going to have all ages coming in to see what God is doing in this place. And that's what we should be desiring to do. But we need to know that we are to be spiritual parents. And I want to ask ourselves, Do we ever ask ourselves, are we a disciple of Christ? And many times people think they're a disciple because they come to church. That is not being a disciple of Christ. That means you came to church. That's all that literally means is that you chose to come to church. Being a disciple of Christ is something much different. Much different. In Luke 14, Jesus says, if you want to be my disciple, you must by comparison hate everyone else. That sounds a little, mm, Jesus, that's a little tough, isn't it? If you want to be my disciple, you must, by comparison, hate everyone and everything else. In other words, nothing comes before me. No person is more important to me. No organization is more important. No activity is more important. He says, your father, your mother, your wife, your children, your brothers, your sisters, your job, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. And if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. So you cannot become my disciple without without giving up everything you own. If Jesus today would stand here and say, I want you to give it all up, how many would follow? The rich young ruler couldn't do it. He said, I want you to give up all your riches and come and follow me. He couldn't do it. Because so much has our heart. So many things have our heart. Jesus told Matthew in Matthew 9, he said, follow me and be my disciple. In other words, It's a continuous action. It's a continuous progression toward becoming like Him. It's not just coming to the altar and praying. That's the start. It's kind of like you give birth. That's the start, right? But you don't just leave them there. Okay, kids, you're on your own. See you later. Becky, I love what she says. You you birth it, you burp it. It's the same thing in the body of Christ. If we birth people into the kingdom, we have to burp them. How many knows that burping babies sometimes is unpleasant? especially when it runs down your back. Has anybody ever had that? You had that little diaper thing on and they, you burp and then, all down the back? Many times. But many people who have supposedly chosen to become Christians have not chosen to follow Christ. How do I know that? Because statistics show it. Over, If you ask the people in this nation, over I think around 78% say, I'm a Christian. But when you look at the lifestyle, 7 to 8% are actually biblical Christians. The sad thing is, and the reason I'm so compelled with this is because Jesus said, not everybody who says to me, Lord, Lord, is going to enter in. And when you see people, and I believe that man yesterday was a man of God, I really do. I believe he was a man of God, but you know, he could have gone the other way. Not everybody who look at all the great things I did, God. He said, I never knew you. It's those who do the will of the Father. That's what being a disciple is all about. Are we disciples of Christ or are we just followers? I'm not a fan of any sports team, let me tell you. I could care less. But if I were a fan of the Panthers, I would go buy a ticket, sit in the in the in the seats and watch the game. I'd buy my snacks, I'd enjoy my snacks more than I would the game, most likely. And then I would leave. I would never get involved with the players, never get to know the coach. I don't know the plays I have, but I can I know every one of them by name. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's not a thing wrong with that. We should enjoy those kinds. Those are entertainment. I love I love that people enjoy those things. But let's don't get let's don't get obsessed with things like that. Right, God, that too many times we have these things on our, our thrones of our heart, but but are we are we followers of Christ? Or are we just fans of Christ? See, a lot of people just love the whole church scene. They just love coming to church. They love organizations, they love belonging to clubs. There's nothing wrong with that. see, we've got to become followers of Christ. We've got to become disciples. And I think many times in the church we have regarded discipleship as an option. Let me tell you, discipleship is not an option. Not according to Scripture. It's not an option. Many have made discipleship and conversion the same thing. They're so not the same thing. Birthing a child is not the same thing as growing and maturing. Birthing can be instantaneous in some cases. I think in Debbie and and Dan's daughter's case, it was a two or three day affair. But maturing is going to be much longer than that. Even though as painful as birth might be, it's not nearly as painful sometimes as (laughs) maturing your child and having them grow up, right? Watching them make their mistakes. But Paul had an attitude about what it takes to become a spiritual parent. But let me ask you one thing first. Why should we even concern ourselves with being a spiritual parent? What are you talking about? What's the big deal? Because when they came to Jesus and they said, what is the greatest commandment? He's All these commandments that were given out by the Jewish people, I think they had 613 in one play, and all their oral laws and the Ten Commandments and all this. Jesus said, that's just one thing. You love God with all your heart, you love your neighbors, you love yourself. That's the one commandment. So we want to make disciples because we love others like we love ourselves. And we love God with all of our heart. That's why we want to make disciples. It's not so we can have a bigger church. It's because we love people. And we want them to know the good news of Jesus Christ. We want them to be free as we talked about this morning. As we sang about this morning, we want people to be free. And they're not going to be free outside of a relationship with Jesus Christ. But what did Paul have to say? If we look at Galatians 4.19. He says, my little children for whom I am again suffering birth pangs until Christ is completely and permanently formed, molded in you. Paul is saying this whole process of spiritual growth, he is a spiritual father. He says it's like birth pangs over and over and over until Christ is completely formed in that person. See, sometimes what we want to do is we want to kick them to the curb when they make a mistake, right? Well, they should know better. They've been a Christian a whole month. They should know better. They should know how to deal with this. I can't help but think of Naomi Dowdy with with the situation she had with uh, Dominique. And I can't help but think of how he kept running away and running away, and she said, go get him, go get him, go get him. And he's now the pastor of her church. And he's bringing thousands to the Lord. But we, we look again, let's go back to Matthew 28, 18 and 20. See, the requirement of making a disciple is not an option. It's on the previous slide, hon. I messed you up. It's on the previous, okay. Jesus came close to them and he said, All authority of the universe has been given to me. Now go in my authority and make disciples of all nations. Who's he talking? He's talking to his, his disciples. So you've got to first be a disciple before you can make a disciple. Too, too many pro- times it's just converts are trying to make disciples and you can't give what you don't have. Right? He says, go in my name and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and teach them to faithfully follow all that I command you. And never forget that I am with you every day, even to the completion of the age. So truth about discipleship, number one, the foundation of discipleship is the authority of Christ. It's based on the authority of Christ. Which means you got to know who you are. You got to know that you walk in the authority of Christ if you're going to lead somebody else into discipleship. Now you say, "Well, I don't have." It. How many in here have children or grandchildren? You don't have to raise your hand. Most of us do. That's your that's your field right there. Are you just, are you spiritual moms and dads for your children and grandchildren? We can take them to do everything else, but are we are we growing them up spiritually? Are we speaking? Are we Deuteronomy six parents? Are we speaking the word of life into them? What are we speaking into them? So we have to have that foundation of the authority of Christ. Number two, who's it, who are the recipients? No one's excluded. He says, make disciples of all nations. And I'm going to back up on that in just a minute. He says, you make disciples of all nations. That word nations is ethnos. It means a body of people united by kinship, culture, and common traditions. Anybody in the world is qualifies to become a disciple if, number three, They have identified with Christ. He says, you go to all the nations, you baptize those that are ready to become followers. See, we just baptize anybody who wants to get baptized. Well, can I get baptized? Sure. Okay, but they haven't decided to become a follower of Jesus. So he says, you only can disciple those who've said, I've made a decision to follow Jesus. And here in this, and we've talked about this so many times, baptism back in the New Testament world was much, much more, had much more meaning than it does today. Man, when you got baptized, you were telling the whole world, don't come to me. I have, I'm sold out to Christ, and now I'm beginning to become this process of a disciple. So he says, you go to all people groups, you identify those who want to become a disciple, those who choose baptism. And then he said, how do you do it? You teach them. You teach them to follow all the commands of Christ. You teach them to follow. You teach them to obey. It's not intellectual, but it's an application of the truth of who Jesus is. You teach them to walk in love. You teach them to walk in forgiveness. You teach them to give. You teach them to forgive. You teach them how, what did Jesus say about, you teach them not to lust in their hearts. Because that's what Jesus taught. So we teach them to follow the words of Christ. But so we're not only required to be disciples, we are required to make disciples. And so back again to what Paul said in Galatians 4, until that, the, until that image of Christ is formed, we work with people. We work with people. We, don't, we are long-suffering. We're not the ones that are, you know, when they make a little mistake. Like I said, we're going to kick them to the curb and they're, they're out of here. But there's a point in time when you have to make some decisions and healthy boundaries and healthy decisions, right? Just like with your children when they continue to not obey there has to be a boundary that's in place and you have to you know what that is holy spirit teaches us but being a disciple means that we profess and possess the lordship of Jesus and we help others to do the same we profess the lord Jesus and we possess the lord Jesus the lordship of Jesus Romans 10, 8 and 9 says, in fact, it says the message is very close at hand. It's on your lips. It's in your heart. The message is the very message about faith that we preach. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. What does it mean to be have Jesus as our Lord? It means I walk in obedience to his word. He says, if you love me, you will obey me. See, if, if we love one another as we love ourselves, we're not going to be lying, cheating, gossiping. We're not going to be doing things to hurt that person, are we? So we can own, uh, being a disciple is all about making Jesus truly the Lord of our life. Not just, not just to confess, but to possess that knowledge. And we're not a true disciple until we help others come into that place of transformation. And spiritual moms and dads are, are very important. And they do the same thing that a natural mother and father will do. They help a person to develop into that maturity. They don't just birth and leave them. Like I said, they don't just birth it and say, okay, kid, you're on your own. And that's what we do so many times. And some sometimes people get birthed and they don't want to be led. See, those aren't the ones that you disciple. It's the ones that say, you know, I want to follow Jesus, whether it's 10%, 5%, or 50%. You know, God will shine His light on those people. He'll let you know. Spiritual moms and dads are those who are called to raise up sons and daughters to walk in their destiny and bring forth the plan of God in the earth. I want to read Romans 8, 19. I love this out of the Passion Translation. I want you just to imagine this. It says the entire universe. What does that mean? Stars and the sun and the animals and all creation. The entire universe is standing on tiptoe. Can you see just looking down, yearning to see the unveiling of God's glorious sons and daughters. What would happen if everyone in the church world began to really know who they were in Christ? What would happen if everyone in the church world began to follow the teachings of Jesus? Would things be different? A lot of news, news stations would have to go out of business, wouldn't they? Seriously. What would happen? What would happen if we would choose to follow after the teachings of Christ? I want Debbie to come up. Debbie was telling me yesterday just about how she has grown in Christ, and but she made a choice to do it. I remember when Debbie first came to Impact, you couldn't get she couldn't get enough. I don't know if this is on or off. I
1: think it's hello. I don't know. Yale. <laughs> well, yeah, we were talking yesterday, and I, we were talking about this topic, and I was saying how when I first came here, so many truths came to me, but I was able to have two mentors, spiritual moms who, who still today um, pour into me, and so. You know, I would read something, and it would be new, and I would send a text message or make a phone call, you know, and <clears throat> as time went on, I, I, I still do that today, I've been here for what, three years, whatever, but, um, and it made such a difference in my life, because I didn't know who, who I was, and through the guidance of, of, of my spiritual mom, so to speak, I, I got to find out who I was in Christ, and that's what I want for everyone, I want everyone to realize that, that they have a purpose. And that, you know, that there's someone or some people that they can connect with, that they can share those experiences. And I know that the people that I mentor now, when they send me a text and tell me something that, that they've discovered, it's exciting for them, but it's exciting for me too because it just keeps going and going. You know, um, a while ago I, we were in prayer room when we were um, meeting in the morning, and I saw this lake or pond, and I, I saw this pit, puddle be thrown into it, and I saw all these ripples, and I just, I can't get over the fact that, you know, every, everything we do, every word we say, every time we encourage someone, it's a ripple. And so I may say something to someone who then says something to someone that day, and it just keeps going on and on. And so, you know, I just encourage everyone to... You know, to connect with someone so that you can walk in the destiny God has for you.
0: So let me ask you a question, mm-hmm. Debbie. So now, since you became a disciple th- about three years ago, so you've not made any mistakes since then, right? Oh, of course, I've made oh, tons of okay, mistakes. Okay, I was just checking every every day. <laughs> <laughs> and and so I remember when you came, and we were t- we've talked many times, and, and you've talked with others many times. And I remember uh, things similar to. And I don't I don't clear to me if I say it's not right, but you would say things like didn't know if you could do certain things or you didn't feel worthy to do certain things or something along that line absolutely absolutely I thought why would you even think I could do something Mm -hmm. and I also remember when God directed Debbie to make a dramatic change in her life and she was she's a teacher she's been teaching for 20 plus years and with special needs kids and and the Lord told her basically that that season was over Mm -hmm. and that she made some changes and and so, uh, this, but see, that's what it's all about. Thank
1: you, mm-hmm. Well, we, well yeah. and so when I made that change, then I kind of moved into doing the the kids' church, but that was only the beginning of what God had. Because now He allows me every single day to go to work at Genesis and touch lives, and and House of Hope here, and, and House of Hope, and and it, you know, just not having that responsibility of school now. I mean, I, I just say I get to do this. It's not even a job. I get to do this. And Debbie does. She she
0: mentors other women in the community, and she also mentors. She and Dorothy are mentoring some ladies here from the church. Mm-hmm. See, that's, that's what it is. I became a disciple. Now I can disciple. Thank you, Debbie. It's beautiful. I became a disciple, so therefore I now I can disciple. What would have happened if Debbie would have just said, no, I don't think I believe that. I just want to come to church and sit on the pew every Sunday how many women in our community that she touches every single week and brings hope? The women in in the house of hope that she brings hope to, because she chose to walk outside of what the enemy had put into her heart and into her mind that she wasn't good enough. You see, the enemy will lie to you, but you can't take on that identity. So we have to. We had so the creation is waiting for you guys to stand up and say, "I want to be a disciple," and I know many of you already are. But I want to also disciple others. God, send me someone. Start with your family. Start with your children. Intentional discipleship is what we're talking about. Discipling your children is not just bringing them to church on Sunday. And you know that as well as I do. Discipling your children is 24-7, isn't it? So we need we need to understand Paul recognized the need to be a spiritual father. He said in 1 Corinthians 4.15, he said you have many instructions. One of the translations says you've got a lot of babysitters. You only have one spiritual father. you got a lot of babysitters. You only have one spiritual father. Find that person, and every person should be mentoring or spiritually uh, being a spiritual parent to someone. And you should have a, a spiritual parent that's pouring into you. Does that mean the spiritual parent has all the answers? Debbie just said she's made mistakes. I bet you made a mistake or two last week or maybe three weeks ago. I don't know you know what? Those those people that she's pouring her heart and her love into don't know the difference. She's leading them. Because we all are in a, pro, a progression, aren't we? But there's lots of spiritual parents. Abraham was a spiritual father. Moses was a spiritual father. Nehemiah, I love Nehemiah, he was a spiritual father. But what about spiritual mothers? Are there spiritual mothers in the Bible? How about Huldah, the prophet? You ever heard of her? How about Junia the apostle of the New Testament? How about Priscilla? great teacher in the new testament. But how about Deborah? I love the story of Deborah. And I want to look today at just two two characteristics that we found we find in the life of Deborah that are it doesn't matter whether it's a father or a mother these characteristics are for spiritual parents, father or mother. But Deborah, let me just give you some just some background on Deborah. You know, Deborah was a judge. How could she be a judge? She was a female. She was a judge. Let me tell you, she didn't run for election. She didn't run for election. She she was not even appointed by man. She was ordained by God and appointed by God. Judges were not ordained or elected by man. They were ordained by God. She was a prophet. She was a military commander, and she was a wife. The closest person that comes to her in the Scripture is Moses. And the Bible tells us that people would come to her. She would sit under the tree of Deborah, and people would come to her for wisdom. For information, for judging in matters, but Deborah was also called, and she called herself a mother of Israel, a mother of Israel. If we look at Judges chapter five, it's, and this is the song after the victory, and we're gonna we'll just briefly go through the the scenario of Deborah. But after the victory, uh, it, it says that there were few people left in the village of Israel. Now Deborah's writing this until Deborah arose as a mother of Israel. How many, how many people are waiting on you to arise as a father and a mother in Concord or Kannapolis or wherever you live, Charlotte, Salisbury, Greensboro, wherever you might live? How many people are waiting on you? How many people are desperate for you to rise up as a mother? And there's a need for spirit, spiritual parents. And then verse 12, it says, this is Deborah, say. this is what she heard. Wake up, Deborah, wake up and sing a song. Wake up and sing a song, and that song was not a song of victory; it was a song of war. See, Deborah was told by God, "It's time to wake up and get and, and do and call forth the destiny of some people that I've put in in place to bring about change in our nation." See, Deborahs don't always have their hands on the issue, but they have their heart and their prophetic vision in the issue. But they're going to call forth and they're going to recognize these people. And there there was a need for Deborah to rise because the people were being taken over by fear and bondage. Can we say that is happening in our nation today? People are, are consumed with fear and bondage. Drug. Let me just tell you this. From 1999 to 2015, 330% increase in prescription deaths, overdoses. For 15 years, for the first 15 years of our new century, 330% increase in, in prescription overdoses. Over the past five years in North Carolina, there's been the abuse treatment facility needs have grown by 170% in the last 5 years. In North Carolina, the budget is 24 billion dollars a year. That's a lot of money, isn't it? 19.3% goes towards addiction issues. But out of that 19.3, only 1 1 cent of every dollar goes toward prevention. The rest goes toward the consequences of addiction. The consequences of addiction. That's 4.6 billion that goes toward addictions. What if this nation had 4.6 I mean this state had 4.6 billion free dollars? We could house the homeless. See there's a lot of people on our streets today that have made mistakes and because of that they're homeless. There are people who have made mistakes in the past who have something on their record they cannot get a job that they're even qualified to have. There could be programs, there could be houses, there could be all kinds of things. Not to mention abortion, pornography, violence, divorce, fatherless homes, and more. So spiritual parents must awake and answer the call. How many of you would say, I would like to be a spiritual parent? I just want to know, how many would like to be a spiritual parent? Absolutely, we should all be raising our hands. But as we look at Deborah, and we see where she was told to sing that song, we have to understand that the enemy at war is against the destiny of every person that you come in contact with. The enemy is at war against every per He's at war against your children. Your children might be wonderful and beautiful today. And most I'm sure they are if they're younger. But let me tell you, there's an enemy at war that wants to steal their destiny. There's an enemy that does not want them to accomplish everything that God has planned and written in his book for your child or your grandchild. I see it. Ours are moving into the teenage years and the latter teenage years, and I see the influences of the enemy. I see the influences of the enemy, trying to pull them out of that place that God has called them. I see and sit with mothers who weep and cry, and def- and fathers, I don't know what went wrong. At 16, my kid just went nuts, and they got into drugs. They got into the wrong crowd. They got into doing this and doing that, because the enemy was there. But see, somebody needed to go to war for them. Somebody needed to go to war. And the enemy wants to steal, to kill, and to destroy that influence of God and, and you and you in the life of your children. I can't help but think about Nehemiah. You know, he's one of my he's probably my Bible character in the Old Testament. But he was a spiritual father. But you know, when he went back to Babylon to spend a season after build, after spending fifty two days building the wall, he goes back to the king of Babylon and he's there for a while and the king releases him to go back to Jerusalem. Let me tell you what happened when he came back. This is what he found. Parts of the temple had been given over to the enemy to occupy. There was no spiritual father in place. Parts of the temple were given over to the enemy to occupy. The the area where the temple kept the, the offerings of the people for the services of God and the priest had been moved out and the enemy was given a place to bring in his junk. The Levites were forced to leave the temple to care for their own needs. Worship stopped in the temple. Spiritual laws were violated, and people no longer honored the Sabbath. They began to work, and they began to bring in merchandisers through the gates. And men were marrying women of the world, and the children, listen, this is the one that breaks my heart, and I say it all the time in here. The children no longer spoke the language of Judah. We see that in our nation today. How many children can speak the language of God? How many children know the language of God, the language of the world? Are we any different today? So the first thing I want us to look at is, if this is a characteristic of spiritual parents and fathers and mothers, and this is what we see in Deborah, is that a spiritual parent will call out the destiny of those who have been commissioned by God. There's something, when you say, that's the reason I ask you, to raise your hand, how many you want to be a spiritual parent? God automatically gives you a supernatural vision into the hearts and lives of people. You'll begin to see, you'll walk into a place and God will put a light on somebody we got somebody we're working with, trying to work with right now, That she has no clue what we're doing. But God just put a light on her, and we're trying to reach her and trying to work. She's going through a horrific stuff right now. We don't know why God just shone a light on her. We walk in, and we can't get her out of our life, and we've been working with her some. See, that's what's going to happen to you when you say, I want to be a spirit." It may not be anybody you even know. It might be somebody sitting on the job. doesn't mean you have to quit your job, you know, go into mission field. You're on a mission field every day. You walk out of here, you're in a mission field. It might be the kids in your community. But God has called us to be spiritual parents. But God has uh, spiritual parents see the God destiny in other people. This is so serious. They see the God destiny. I remember when I came to this church and Pastor Robbins, he just started calling stuff out. And I'm thinking, what are you doing? I mean, you know, that's not who I am. But he kept calling and he kept calling it out. I remember in, in 2010 no, excuse me, 1997 he said in July he said I want to ordain you and I thought why? <laughs> why you want to ordain me? What's that going to do? I didn't know, he but he said he saw something and then I just kind of brushed it off and then in September he says I need to ordain you. And I wasn't even really doing anything except just a little bit of women's ministry. I didn't know the difference. See, he had those father's eyes. He was an incredible spiritual father. He was a spiritual father to so many people. And that didn't mean he had to spend hours. Sometimes he'd just do like he did Terry one day, grabbing him by the shirt like this and say, Son, you're chasing after things. And you, that's all he had to say, wasn't it? That's all, sometimes that's all. We just bring a little bit of correction. It's not that we have to spend hours and hours, but sometimes it might require that. But we can see the destiny in other people. In Judges chapter 4, we see that uh, Deborah had sent and summoned Barak. Now, the word Barak means blessed, of course. And he was the son of Abinoab from Kedesh, Naphtali, and said to him, Has not the Lord God of Israel commanded you, Go gather your men at Mount Tabor, taking 10,000 from the people of Naphtali and the people of Zebulun? What was she doing? It's like saying, Deborah, hasn't God told you to start this Bible study? What are you waiting on? Hasn't God told you to get involved with these women? Hasn't God told you to start doing whatever it is? Go back to school? Become that business owner you wanted to be? Start that ministry, whatever it might be? It's not always in the church. Your ministry may not always be inside the church. Hasn't God called you to do that? See, that word commanded really in the Hebrew means commissioned. That's a powerful word. Has not God commissioned you to do this? you ever wonder what Barack was sitting on I, I don't I don't know I wonder how long he had been sitting on it but she and you know, and there's a let me tell you there's an appointed time to call out too see Deborah knew the time to summons Barack that's why as a disciple you have as a disciple maker you have to be a disciple you have to have that relationship with God you have to have that authority. And, and Deborah was able to look at Barack and look past his fears. I think he was fearful. Look past his insecurities. Look past the habits that had pulled him out of the place God had called him to be and kept him out of God's debt. She was able to look past that. Again, I've I, I told you, i told you a hundred times about Naomi Dowdy. With that, I just mentioned that a minute ago. Go get Dominic. Where is he? Oh, he's back out on the streets again. Go get him. See, she saw in him. She didn't know at the time he was going to be leading that church. But she saw in him something. And we've got to be able to see that something. Now, he also has the right to respond. Debbie had the right to respond. She just said, I'm out of here. This is weird. I don't have time for this. I mean, I can't leave my job. I can't do what God's called me. Nobody asked her to leave her job. That's what God told her. Once she decided to follow God's commissioning, see, God then made a way. And that's what he will do. But we have, to, we have to be willing to say, God, sh- let me parent someone. Bring someone across my path that I can assist, that I can help. True spiritual mothers and fathers recognize what has been deposited for the purposes of God. Let me tell you, a true spiritual mom and dad is not going to benefit off of their child. You know what I'm saying? It's not for their own personal benefit. Now, they're going to be benefited from it. If they don't have a hidden agenda. True spiritual moms and dads do not have hidden agendas. They don't. I'm not asking Debbie to do this so I can benefit. No, I want to see what God has is really going to do in her life and not everyone's life. And I'm just she just got up today. Let me tell you, a true spiritual mom and dad takes joy in watching a child develop. Don't you take joy in watching your natural children develop their gifts and talents and become everything they're called to be? Of course you do. Of course you do. And God's plan for the nation of Israel needed for Barak to answer the call. But see, he had someone to call him out on what he had been commissioned already to do. We see this in Scripture. Samuel called forth David when others thought he was just a shepherd boy. Mordecai called forth Esther when others said she's just an orphan. Jesus called Peter when they said he's just an ignorant fisherman. You see, with spiritual parents, we see past all the external stuff. We see past all the... The, the, it doesn't matter how many diplomas they have behind their name. We see what's inside their heart. We see the anointing that God has deposited in there. And Barak was called to lead an army of Israel against the most undefeatable foe there could be. Because this was the first army, King Jabin, the first army that had 900 chariots with iron wheels. 900 chariots with iron wheels. They were they were undefeatable. I think I would probably sit back and kind of wait on my call too, if you think about it. But see, fear is not always a negative emotion. Sometimes fear is simple. It doesn't mean we're afraid to do it. We're just afraid. And I think Brock wasn't afraid to do it. He was just afraid. I got a quote here from George Patton. If anybody's afraid to do something God is calling you to do, I want you to think about this. It says, Battle is the most magnificent competition which a human being can indulge. It brings out all that there." All that is best and removes all that is base. All men are afraid in battle. The coward is the one who lets fear overcome his sense of duty. The coward is the one who lets fear overcome his sense of duty. Duty is the essence of manhood. Are we cowards? See, it's okay to be afraid. It's just not okay to be a coward. Fear should never stop us from our sense of duty. As as believers in Jesus Christ, we have a duty to disciple others, and we have a duty to be a disciple. Number two, a spiritual parent will also open the way for the seed to crush the head of the enemy. We know the story of how Barak took his armies down, and and we know that all of a sudden the the, the rain started. And keep in mind, you've got these chariots of these nine hundred chariots of iron. How in the world are they? they don't even have a they don't even have a spear. They're just going out, and I guess they're going to scare them to death. And all of a sudden, it says God begins to move, and he says the the stars begin to move, and he says the the rains begin to come, and the floods, the rivers begin to overflow, and the very thing that the enemy was using becomes his worst enemy himself because all those 900 chariots began to clog up in the mud. And suddenly, see, their confidence was in their chariots, and when they didn't have their chariots, they didn't have their confidence. So they began to retreat and we know that King Sisera not King Sisera but the general Sisera Sisera the commander of the army takes off and he begins to run and what we see is that spiritual parents will set the stage for their spiritual children to answer the call that God has placed in their life and if we look in, in verse uh, 24 through 26 and what happens is that Sisera runs to to the Canaanite camp who has kind of expelled themselves from Israel. They're kind of, well, I'm not real happy with Israel, so we're just going to go out here and hang out. But he, they've also become friends with King Jabin. So Sisera automatically thinks, well, this is a safe place for me, so I'm running to this camp. And he finds his most blessed women be Jael, the wife of Heber, the Canaanite of, of tent-dwelling women, most blessed. He asks for water. He runs to he runs to Jael's tent he says, I'm safe here. I need water. I need a place to hide. So he runs to her tent and he asked for water and she gave him milk. She brought him curds in a noble's bowl. She sent her hand to the tent peg and her right hand to the workman's mallet. She struck Sisera and crushed his head. She shattered and pierced his temple. She shattered and pierced his temple. See, Deborah set the stage for her spiritual child. See, Deborah really didn't get a lot of credit for this. If you look in Hebrews, who got the credit? Barak. And he says he's a man of faith, yet he would not go unless Deborah went with him. So spiritual parents aren't looking for the credit. They're looking for the glory of God. They're looking for God's kingdom to be expanded. But if we look at the name JL, we see that it means mountain goat. We also see that it means to be of practical use many of you are JLS. all of us are JLS, and there's practical things you think well i've never been to seminary or i've never been i don't have an mba or i don't have a phd or i don't have all these other things god's not looking for any of that i don't think a single one of his disciples had any of that jesus didn't have a phd but you know what he did he opened blinded eyes he healed diseases he cast out demons sometimes you know they say that means piled higher and deeper so it's, it's to be of practical use. What did J.L. use? What did J.L. have that was of practical use? Every day when she would spread the tent, she'd take the hammer and the tent peg and she would spread the, the boundaries of her tent. She was very adept at that hammer and that tent peg. And she took the very thing that God had placed in her hand to crush the head of the enemy. And I'm going to tell you that the enemy today is the devil. And he wants to kill, he wants to steal, he wants to destroy every plan for your child, for your children, for your grandchildren, for you. And you've got practical things in your hand. You have to understand your identity. You have to understand your authority. If we look at Genesis 3.15, we see when the Lord spoke to the devil, he says the woman's seed will crush the head of the devil. And we have a beautiful picture of how J.L., did the very thing with that hand, with that very practical thing. Well, let me give you another little bit of information on, on that word, drove. We're going to skip through some of this. Let's go to number 11. If we look at that word, drove, if we look at that word, drove, we see that what it, it comes from the Hebrew word, T-E-Q-A, T-E-Q-A, Teka, Teka. And that word tekah means it's a blast of a trumpet, it's a clapping of the hands, it's an instrument of praise and joy. See, we're talking about being practical. Dan started out this morning by telling us that we have a choice to worship. That's very practical. If we look at that word also in the uh, Old Testament, we'll see that same word is used of the Valley of Tekoa, where the Lord led Jehoshaphat's armies before the enemy was defeated. And that Valley of Tekoa is that same place. Is that place of a blast of a trumpet. It's that place of praise. It's that place of clapping the hands. And it says, when the children of Israel began to do that, God sent an ambushment in the enemy's camp. See, you don't have to have a PhD. You don't have to have a, all these other degrees. You don't have to have all these other things. There's nothing wrong with any of those. I mean, those are good to have. I'm not saying there's not anything wrong with them. But don't just qualify yourself because you don't have those things. What do you have? So you have this. You have a voice that can praise. And when God, when God begins to confuse the enemy, it's only going to be after you have activated that with your praise. We activate the hand of God in our life with our praise, just as when she drove that tent peg into the hand. Just imagine driving that tent peg. Can you imagine the blood that splattered when she drove that tent peg through his temple? I want you to stand, if you will. I want you to clap your hands and I want you just to imagine the blood of Jesus splattering in the face of the enemy. When we clap our hands, the blood of Jesus splatters in the face of the enemy. Devil, you're not getting my kids. Devil, you're not getting my child. You're not getting my finances. You're not getting my mind. We're splattering you with the blood of Jesus. We're splattering the face of the enemy with the blood of Jesus. And we will not allow the enemy. We will not allow the enemy to have victory. See, the enemy, We're gonna, you know, one of the nine principles of war is you strike the enemy when he least expects it. Sisera did not expect to have a, a peg driven through his temple. The enemy will go to sleep. He'll go to sleep if we have God on our side using wisdom. If we, God will allow the enemy to be put into a place where we can drive that tent peg into his head. We have that practical thing called praise. We have that practical thing. You know, you can have, like I, said, I keep going back to this. You can be so skilled in any, any, any field that you're in. But let me tell you, when you begin to praise God, He will download stuff to you that you would never have learned in 15,000 classrooms. I had stuff downloaded to me in my laboratory at, at, when I was working. I had no idea. what. I, I, there's no way I could have known it, but God began to download it. He began to download things. He began to say things. He began to show me things. And what was it? Because I began to pray, God, you said, I'm honoring your word." You said that if I call on you, you're going to show me great and mighty thing. I praise you, God. And in the face of the enemy, see, the blood of Jesus is splattered. The blood of Jesus is splattered. It's the praise that brings the victory. And every one of you carry the seed inside of you to crush the head of the, the devil. Every one of you carry the seed inside of you to crush the head of the devil. If Jesus is inside of you. See, it's Christ in us, the hope of glory. It's Christ in us, the hope of glory. It's Christ in us that makes us more than a conqueror. Psalm 149 says, High praises to God in our mouth, and it executes on the enemy the vengeance of God. Praise activates God. Spiritual parents will birth a move of God. Spiritual parents will birth a move of God. How many of you need to birth a move of God in your family, in your children, in your marriage? Spiritual parents will praise the way into victory and they'll teach their children to do the same thing. I didn't tell you, but I've got a video afterward. That's okay. Sorry. That's okay. I want us to I want us to wrap this up with singing this song. I love this song, Raise a Hallelujah. I just pulled it up on the video. I thought it might be faster than just to get everybody engaged, but See, we need to learn how to raise a hallelujah in the face of the enemy. We need to learn how to clap. That's why it says we clap our hands, all you people, shouting to God with a voice of triumph. Every time you clap your hands, from this table, I want you to think of the blood of Jesus going into the face of the enemy. I want you to say, ha-ha, devil, you're not having my children. Ha-ha, devil, you're not having my grandchildren. Ha-ha, devil, you're not having my health. You're not having my ministry. You're not having my business. You're not having anything that belongs to me. You're off limits. Ha, 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 devil. We have to take God's word for what it says. We have to be so willing to raise that hallelujah to God. And I don't know. I just had this thought. If some of you have an enemy that you've been dealing with, I I want you just to come up here again. There's nothing wrong with coming up here. There's nothing wrong with staying back there. I just feel like God wants us to do something. Just make that prophetic move and say, God, I'm stepping forward to you. I'm raising that hallelujah to you. I'm blessing you, God, with my my praise. I'm splattering the face of the devil with the blood of Jesus. I'm not allowing the enemy to rule in my life and in my family one more day. Let's do it.